0: Oh, no! Here we go!
1: Can I persuade you to join us for a drink? So, 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 so. It's
2: a tradition. Here, here. Ja ja, homie, my uh, main uh, man, uh, quickly. Uh, before uh, the separatists uh, attack, get into the escape uh, pod. Hey!
3: This is
4: escape, then we're the pot?
3: Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod and another episode of Rebels Talk Part 16. We are here to uh, talk about Star Wars Rebels, the finale for Season 3, Episode 19, 20, and 21, of course, uh, or 22. And uh, with me uh, in the Escape Pod is your esteemed co-host, Blake, which we will meet up in just a second. But as a quick reminder to those of you joining us in Rebels Talk, The description always has the list of episodes that we go through in the series, so make sure you check that out and see which episodes that we're talking about because it's full spoilers ahead for all of you who haven't seen those. So without further ado, let's get into it and take our next step, the road to Ahsoka. Let's do it. landing all right and we are back welcome back blake
5: hello there Deed.
3: <laughs> hello there <laughs> yes and uh man we got uh The final four episodes of season three, we've just been blazing through all of these. Pretty nuts. I was
5: uh, surprised that it was the ending of season three. As soon as we finished the next episode, started playing for season four. I was like, oh man, we made it. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Now let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. (laughs) Not at the end of the road just What,
5: like six episodes in in season four?
3: Yeah, it's not very many. I mean, uh, yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. But uh, yeah, here we are. I mean, we're, we got maybe four sets or five sets of episodes left. Uh, let me think here. one, two, three, four, four more sets. And then we're done. And then we have Man, Ahsoka, crazy. the premiere. And uh, from, from, from what I understand, uh, you know, you and uh, the rest of the crew of the escape pod is, we're all doing a midnight premiere. <laughs> midnight, uh, yeah. midnight watch party. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Uh, the following day on official release day technically it's the wednesday august 23rd Uh, there is a plan to have a live twitter spaces and uh you know we'll be recording that as well kind of while on the show and uh we got a few uh few other sort of twitter mates um popping on other star wars podcasts are going to be there and uh you know it's just going to be a party unless it's unless it's completely not maybe maybe it's going to be Incredibly boring and dry. Ghost town. A ghost town. <laughs> A ghost town <laughs> yeah, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, we've never done any one of these That's before, the so ghost town.
5: Yeah. yeah, there we go.
3: Yeah, but we'll we'll see how it goes. So make sure you uh follow us on the Twitter feed using the handle at swscape podcast. It's in the description below, and uh you know, be sure to uh, set yourself the reminder. Find the tweet. um I think it's in our highlights on the on our profile and. You know you can use the the set reminder button for that spaces and and it'll uh it'll be at around seven thirty p m august twenty third and we're gonna be chatting some Ahsoka and you know it's a good good opportunity to sort of uh get your voice on the podcast as well and you know it's a sort of like a big group conversation going on so uh you know formalities are sort of out the window I'll just you know we'll just open mic it and just kind of see how it goes and hopefully everyone's uh you know, on their best behavior
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah,' Something like a recipe for disaster, see what yeah. happens so many people fall to the dark side,
3: yeah, exactly, yeah, but you know we'll see it, we'll see how it goes if it's if it's an extremely bad situation, then you know maybe we won't publish it, but we'll see how it goes' <laughs> the
5: old like like the old uh talent shows see the cane come up behind the curtain,
3: yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy all right well uh here we are we're on the last four for season three so uh for all of you guys who do not know uh ma- mentioned it in the intro uh you know we're, we're we're walking through down the road to to ahsoka and this is our next step on that journey and uh the final four episodes of season three so we have season three episode 19 double agent droid is up first uh this was directed by Stuart lee written by brent friedman this premiered on Disney XD March 11th, 2017 and guest stars Nathan Kress and Josh Gadd. That's uh this is the voice of um what's his name? Olaf. Right? Olaf? Olaf, yeah, from Frozen.
6: Oh, see, I've never actually bothered to watch that.
3: Yeah.
5: <laughs> i know I what you're talking about <laughs>
3: gotcha <laughs> um yeah you can you can look up a picture if you want but you, you know the last disney movie i
5: watched animated or whatever i think it was like Finding nemo oh wow okay
3: well josh gadd plays the um the the imperial cybernetic guy i forget the character's name but uh, he's the one mm-hmm. that actually is one of the first competent. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's one of the first competent Imperials that we've actually seen in the series so far. So that was kind of neat. You know, I you know, to see someone who's not um, Thrawn, who's actually yeah. getting ahead, you know, was like, wow.
5: Yeah. Well it's funny because he was kind of like the like the hacker type character. I think I think we might actually know someone who's like
3: this this person from school. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) Nice. All right, well, uh, here's a summary. Chopper and AP-5 and Wedge are sent on a mission to an Imperial facility to steal access codes for the factory on Lothal. AP-5 successfully locates and steals the codes. Meanwhile, Chopper assesses the Imperial network and draws the attention of the controller, an Imperial agent who controls an advanced spy ship. Using his ship's capabilities, the controller remotely seizes control of Chopper, intending to use him to locate the rebel base with their mission successful chopper ap5 and wedge head back to the rendezvous with the ghost and ap5 begins to suspect something is wrong when chopper acts uncharacteristically nice the rest of the crew thinks ap5 is just squabbling with chopper again though Hera believes to have her suspicions as well the controller then uses chopper to lock the crew in the cargo hold while he attempts to hack the ghost computer ap5 overrides the door's controls allowing the crew to disable chopper Angry that the Imperials have harmed her droid, Harris sends a counter signal back to the controller, overloading his ship's systems and causing it to explode. Chopper returns to normal and begins bickering with AP-5 again. That was the description, and this is Rebels Recon.
7: Double Agent Droid gave us a closer look at Chopper and AP-5's dynamic. I sat down with cast and crew to talk about the challenges of working with Chopper, learning a little bit more about the Imperial listeners, and getting to the bottom of AP-5's Moment of Zen. Check it out. In Double Agent Droid, we get another fun episode of Chopper in AP5. Is there anything different about your process when you're portraying a droid character?
6: I think it's a little different, especially because when Chopper is your co-star, he's mainly a sound effect. A lot of times you're just kind of like going with what's there on the page.
7: In Double Agent Droid, we see an Imperial listenership filled with people wearing Lobot-esque headgear. Can you tell us a little bit more about those people? This
2: was continuing a thread that we had left way back in season one with the character of Sebo. The idea that there are are a number of Imperial agents that give up a degree of autonomy in order to be plugged into the Imperial data network the way they are.
8: It's really a sort of growing element in the galaxy. Because the Rebellion is beginning to grow, so the Empire is kind of coming back with their own psychological operation. They're intercepting transmissions, they're intercepting data,
0: seeing where there might be uprisings or intel, and then Thrawn has dedicated this one to, you know, hey, there are these droids, and they keep infiltrating. We should really get on that, because the Empire usually ignores them. but. Ron doesn't
8: ignore
7: anything. AP-5 seems truly content when he's floating out in space alone and disappointed when he's scooped up by the ghost. Why do you think he would prefer that kind of life?
8: In this particular episode, they're sort of ignoring him and he's warning him that Chopper's turned and they're kind of blowing him off and they're in this terrible trouble because of him. So he's like, you know what? Maybe this isn't so bad.
0: <laughs> he tolerates the presence of the rebels. I think he gets because the Empire had no use for him. He was kind of going to be decommissioned that it's better to be with them, but he just suffers under their lack of organization and structure so in some ways he would like to just float out there and let his battery die.
2: He either wants one of two things stuff to organize and to be left alone. So I imagine if he's free floating in the cosmos, he could probably catalog all the stars around him, and that's his happy place.
7: As he's floating, AP5 sings a great little song. Was this in the script, or was it something that was just created as you were recording?
6: This was in the script. I remember asking Dave Filoni, I said, are we really going to have this droid singing here <laughs> in Star Wars? Are we going to do this? And he said, yeah, why not? And the day that we did that, everybody else, I think, was finished with what they were doing on the show. And Taylor and Freddie and everyone was like, no, 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 we're not going anywhere. We want We want to stay in here. AP5 sing. Have weird
0: moments where I think things are gonna be funny. And when we got to this moment with AB5, I just pictured him alone in space. It's so different for him. I thought it'd be funny if he kind of just spun it and doesn't even realize that in this euphoric moment, he starts to sing. And I just think it's funny. I mean, it's this very bizarre moment, but with these episodes, I think you wanna go weird. Half the audience will call them filler. I know that now. I can't be like dower and Obi-Wan serious every week. You know, that. that's yet to come.
3: All right, well, there you go. Um, that was kind of an interesting episode. You know we saw a p five singing. <laughs> it's very
5: musical, actually. We actually opened with the song cover as well. I don't know if you noticed this
3: the the, the we, we, uh, we opened the episode with a song cover?
5: Sort of. yeah, it wasn't sung, but it was they were Chopper and a p five were arguing, and they were repeating lyrics to a song.
3: Oh, really.
5: Yeah, I just actually here in the document I put a link to the song if you want to play it. Just oh, first, yeah, yeah, you
3: know, sure. seconds. Okay, I'll uh, I'll play it on uh, Oh, I, Okay, I'll play it but you, you won't hear anything but uh, our audience will. So let's just take a listen here real quick.
0: Anything you could do I- could do better <laughs> I can do anything better than you
3: No you can't
8: Yes I can
3: No you can't Yes I can No you can't Yes I can Yes I can Anything you can be I can be greater Sooner or later I'm greater than you No you're not Yes I am No you're not Yes I am No you're not Yes I am Yes I am I- to with a single cartridge
5: i can get a sparrow with the bow and arrow
3: i can live on bread and cheese and only on that yep so a rat any note you can sing about. okay well that's interesting yeah so it's like a yeah, is that? yeah the lyrics are sort of um playing off of the relationship between ap5 and chopper it seems a little bit anything anything i can do or you can do i can do better or something was yeah, what they're saying yeah, yeah.
5: Yeah, it's what they're doing back and forth because uh, <laughs> AP5 was saying, oh, he could do the job better than Chopper. And so he was like, "Yes, yeah, so I could do anything better than you. Chopper's like, no, you can't. And it's, like, it's funny. It's one of the few times you can actually decipher what Chopper's saying.
3: Right, right. That's and, cool. And they, they, were,
5: they were just singing the song, essentially.
3: That's, that's a great, great uh, call out. Did you just recognize the song right away?
5: Oh, I it did. It's because I've known this song since childhood. Because there's an episode of the Rugrats where they sing this song.
3: Oh my gosh, that takes me back.
5: I've I've known this since like probably kindergarten. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, uh, there was, <laughs> there was some uh, some real uh, uniqueness to this episode because you know music and Star Wars like that. I mean, we don't really get a whole lot. I mean, we we don't we, we never get that. You know what I mean? It's just um, like this is usually just in universe music, right? When you get you know, and I the, don't think I've ever heard anyone in st- any Star Wars story singing. Like like nothing comes Chavez to mind. Palace. Oh yeah, of course, of course.
5: I think it's but it's always like bands like yeah
3: you know, yeah. Universe, it's always right? like it's always Star Wars music. It's not yeah. like. Like, He was singing like a classical Ewoksing. music, musical kind of thing, yeah. I guess so. I guess so. that's still like Star <laughs> Wars, you know I, what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like uh, mm-hmm. he's singing like a very sort of classical kind of um, almost like he's you know taking a step on a Broadway or something like that, you know what I mean?
5: <laughs> the Ewoks,
3: but <laughs> no, not the Ewoks, <laughs> AP5. <laughs>
5: Oh, I see. Just play the clip. Play the clip from Disney Plus here. Okay.
3: All right. Yeah. I'm just I'm just pulling it up. Here we go. Here here, here it is. Strangely calm. The silence. Solitude. Ah, this is beautiful.
6: I'm in a world all my own. I do not feel alone. It's easy to see. I fit. Perfectly in this
3: wonderful beautiful scenery oh, oh, No 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 go away i was so
5: happy <laughs> i love that noise too when he goes into the ship yeah bang,
3: bang. <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> slamming into the uh, the cargo hold there so yep, good exactly
5: <laughs> it was like he finally found his happy place and they just rip him away yeah
3: yeah it's awesome do Um, you think
5: that those like butterfly things flying around him were really there was he hallucinating
3: i think they were actually there you know i think there was there was some legitimacy to uh, because droids don't hallucinate right so i think there was some legitimacy to where he was in space maybe there was some sort of Little space creatures. I mean, they, they 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 look like kind of baby versions of what could have been like a real giant space monster or something. But uh I don't know. I, it was like a yeah. like a happy <laughs> a happy place. So, you know, like I, I i guess the only thing that could have made it slightly different was like he's in like a nebula or something, and all these colors everywhere. But uh, oh, okay, the the peacefulness of just being surrounded by stars and everything. I think that's what kind of made the moment. So
5: it could also be terrifying.
3: Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) I mean, uh, yeah, he he, he had his world between world moments right there. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Uh, We get more wedge. Yeah, we get more wedge in this episode. A very underappreciated guy in the Rebellion to have received this mission to take part with AP5 and Chopper and uh, Mm -hmm. has a terrible time and pretty much vows to... Ride completely droidless for that that moment on. So I was trying to remember: um, Does he have an astromech in his X-wing at the Battle of Yavin?
5: Yavin, he has to, right? I don't uh, remember seeing his X-wing specifically though.
3: As far as as far as this episode goes, I mean, other than like the really capable Imperial. And uh, a story that involved AP5 and Chopper. I thought it was probably one of the best fluff episodes that we could have had. Um, as far as the actual downsides of what I thought was sort of dumb about this episode was the whole hacking thing, the reverse hacking thing that Hera pulls. That was weird. Like, I really didn't like the whole <sighs> counter like signal the- blows up a ship. Like, why, <laughs> why haven't they done that like a million times already?
5: It seems like a pretty big flaw.
3: Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
5: (laughs) Just blew up the whole Death Star with that.
3: Yeah, it's like, like, dude, like through through one droid's communication, you know, it's just like what?
5: It would make more sense if it it was just like really loud, like deafened them. Yeah, something along those lines. But I don't know. I don't understand how it blew up an entire, you know, star destroyer or whatever. I mean, short circuiting imperial transport.
3: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like short short circuiting their their memory banks, maybe at the very most, but like blowing up the like ship in
5: their electronics, maybe,
3: I guess it was their way in the story to make sure there was no witnesses to, you know, make sure that this wasn't the reason that Thrawn finds them sort of thing. But it was, it's like, okay, we're like two episodes away from, you know, him finding them anyways. So like, <laughs> true. Why couldn't it be that, you know? Something. At least, like, get,
5: get them a step closer.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I was like, would you have to, you know, blow up the whole ship? Like, just to, just for that? Like, I don't know. I don't know. It, it just Question. didn't seem, it's, like, in-universe lore correct. You know what I mean?
5: Yeah, this episode had a number of weird stuff going on. It felt like a weird offshoot of Star Wars. We There's a group, these hackers or whatever, called the listeners. They just appear and disappear, and I, I bet we they don't show up again in canon anywhere.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like, I do love the idea that these guys exist because to me that they almost feel like those, uh, undercover, like subs, you know, like a, like a, um, submarine just chilling, you know, monitoring yeah, like a stuff on. submarine. Yeah. Yeah. Like a military submarine, just like with all the, all the equipment to kind of spy and this do whatever, whatever, like, you know, it's just like, it's in the movies, right? And it's like, I I believe that this could exist, but at the same time, it just sort of felt unrealistic to have that whole entire ship blow up due to a communication thing. I I don't know. It's just like, I wasn't really buying that, but the rest of it was really fun. You know, I really enjoyed the whole AP five chopper dynamic, uh, having wedge show up again and get more story with him was, was cool. You know, that's always a welcome sight. Uh, he's not a very colorful character, I must say. Like he's a very sort of brand muffin style character. You know what I mean? <laughs> he's like the brand muffin of the rebellion. Like I don't know why people like the character so much. It's just like he's not. Wedge? There's nothing cool about him. He's like he's like everyone's. Well,
5: he's, just, he's just a good pilot, but he's supposed. He's a very like straight arrow. He, he has never really. Yeah. Like you don't really get into the detail of his character very much in the movies. Right, you just know that he's competent, right? And he's he's survived the Battle of Yavin, and he helps Luke, uh, and you know with the, the the snow speeders, *The Empire Strikes Back*, and I'm sure he was at the the Battle of the Second Death Star.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's it, he's just one of those characters. I'm like, okay, it would be nice to have a bit more than like what we've had. And anytime we do see more of him, it's just like,
5: eh. They don't really dive any deeper. He's still just, like, so like a bran muffin.
3: <laughs> right. Yeah, he's, he's, he's bran muffin, and, and, you know, that's where it ends.
5: <laughs> what are they called? What are the? Uh, if you remember the old commando books, they always eat these, like, really bland foods, They're, like something cubes, you know what I'm talking
3: about? Oh, yeah, like, um, yeah. Nutrition cube? Yeah, uh, a nutrition cube, I think is what they were called.
5: Somewhat like that well, he's that. That's what he is.
3: Or a ration cube, or something like that. But yeah, he's he's like a ration cube, nutrition cube. Just like <laughs> he's healthy for the story, but he's like nothing enjoyable, you know?
5: Yeah, there's there's really there's no flavor.
3: Yeah, there's no flavor. Yeah. People uh, are
5: gonna get so mad, all the wedge fans. Oh
3: man, yeah, probably people yelling. at It's my right fault
5: now. they didn't dive into his backstory. Yeah. We don't know really anything about him other than what well, we've seen in Rebels. But he just like so he comes across as this this nutrition cue of a character the whole time. I don't know. He doesn't have any personality.
3: Yeah, he really doesn't. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of legend stories out there that I just haven't read, you know, that involves wedge, but you know, just from what I've seen in the Canon, it's like, like this guy kind of, I don't know. What's a big deal.
5: Wait a minute. So do you, do you remember a fake wedge?
3: Fake wedge? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> who's that?
5: <laughs> so, if I'm remembering this correctly, uh, in A New Hope, when they're making the plans to attack the Death Star, then there's that the one guy who speaks up, right? And he says like, no pilot can hit a target that small.
3: Oh there's yeah, I, I have a vague memory.
5: Okay, well that guy was supposed to be Wedge, but they recast him before they did all the pilot scenes. Really? So that's like That's fake Wedge, yeah.
3: I didn't know was that was supposed to be like Wedge.
5: That, that guy seemed like he had more personality than Wedge does.
3: <laughs> 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 yeah, he totally does. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All right, He's
5: well. Uh, He'll never survive.
3: Overall, I would give this episode. Mm.
5: You're, you're forgetting the most important part. This, this might boost your, your point, so we've got to talk oh, about sure, it. Oh,
3: sure, sure. Yeah, go for it.
5: So when Chopper and AP5 are, are sneaking their way through the... the the uh, starship chopper is like kicking a mouse. Right.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, that was kind of good, it wasn't it?
5: It's the thing we've all wanted to do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Really hard to okay. Well, I don't think that changes
3: my score too too much, but I mean well, it's, it's... gonna be at least a quarter point. Higher. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I'll give it like 0. 0.25 Pablo points. And uh okay. for those of you who don't know, who are new. Uh, our score system is out of seven, three Pablo Pudus is the absolute worst, the worst moving up from there. You got two Pablo Pudus, one Pablo Pudu, and then a Bendu Bendu is in the middle. That's 50%. And then you got three Pablo points, um, being the absolute best of the best of the best. Um, you know, one Pablo point, two Pablo points, three Pablo points, you know, that's, that's our scale. So, uh, 0.25, I mean, uh, just north of 50% north of a Bendu, but not good, not great, not perfect, but not bad.
6: I say. guess I'll be, I'll be, they'll be nice. I'll give it, a,
5: I'll give it 0. 0.5. But yeah, I feel like kind of that Bendu new area is definitely where it's at. Was it? Yeah. It, it was, it was, it was very fillery, which is ironic that in the Rebels Recon, Dave Filoni he himself said it was, people were gonna refer to it as
3: filler. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he totally, totally saw it coming, you know what I mean? Uh, okay, well, uh, let's move on here. Season 3, episode 20. This is Twin Sons. There's a lot to talk about here. Directed by Dave Filoni, written by Dave Filoni, and Henry Gilroy. This episode came out March 18th, 2017. And guest stars Sam Witwer. And uh, here is the summary. After receiving a Holocron message... Ezra Bridger tells the Ghost crew that they must go to Tatooine to save Obi-Wan Kenobi from Maul. The crew refuses, believing Kenobi died during Order 66 and that the message is a trap set by Maul. Ezra and Chopper nonetheless sneak away and head to Tatooine, but their ship is destroyed by Tusken Raiders soon after they arrive. Guided by the holocron, Ezra and Chopper set off across the desert in search of Kenobi. After hours of aimless wandering, Chopper runs out of power and shuts down. Ezra is then haunted by visions of Maul, telling him that he failed his loved ones. Shortly afterwards, Ezra passes out. Upon awakening, he finds that Kenobi has rescued him Ed Chopper. Ezra tries to warn Kenobi that Maul is after him, and asks him to help the Rebellion. However, Kenobi refuses, saying that the Rebellion already has what it needs to fight the Empire. He also has no intention of fighting Maul. Though he knows it is now inevitable... As Maul finds the pair, Kenobi sends Ezra and Chopper to safety and faces off with Maul in a lightsaber duel. After a period of tension, Maul strikes first, but is quickly countered and defeated by Kenobi. Before Maul dies, Kenobi stays by his side and reveals to him that he is watching over whom he believes is the Chosen One. With Maul's last words being,
4: He will avenge us,
3: Ezra and Chopper return to the base on Maul's ship. Ezra tells the Rebels that Maul is gone and apologizes for sneaking away. The episode ends with Kenobi watching a young Luke Skywalker at the Lars Moisture Farm from a distance. And that is the summary. This is Rebels Recon.
7: It's been over 15 years since Maul and Kenobi met for the first time in The Phantom Menace. What's it like finally ending that story? Going into this, I know we had a
9: really rigorous conversation around the idea of whether or not it's something we should be doing, and especially knowing the journeys of both those characters, really making sure that that moment was being constructed from a place of what the story demanded, not from a place of something that we all personally
0: wanted to see. We were the crazy people that brought him back to life and I didn't want it to happen in any other form. I thought that we had a responsibility to try to find a way to end it. I also always felt that, like, in a way, by bringing him back to life, it kind of robbed Obi-Wan Kenobi of this victory and this moment in his life. So I thought it's a way to bring that back.
7: How many iterations of this episode did you go through before (laughs) getting to the final stage?
8: Several, several. Interesting thing about the early drafts, I included Kanan on Ezra's trip to Tatooine. However, as the story developed, we realized that really this was Ezra's. Ezra kind of brought the rebels in contact with Maul, so it made sense that on some level he would have matured and basically take on the responsibility of dealing with Maul himself.
0: There were a lot of deleted scenes from that episode. Tons and tons, probably more deleted scenes than have ever been done. You're just constantly taking things out less is more and see how much the audience really needs to understand what's going on. Do they have enough? You have to be clear, but I had to cut it for time. So much of it.
9: When you're working with some of those legacy characters that are so fundamental, to the Star Wars universe, it's important not to lose sight of the characters that are within our show. So it became really critical to understand what this episode meant for Ezra. And when we started development on season three, it became very clear that there would be an opportunity to tell this story and that in fact, perhaps in some way, Maul finding Obi-Wan could be Ezra's fault. And I remember very clearly when we started talking about that idea, and you always know because the best ideas are terrifying and exciting
7: at the same time.
9: You know, when you have that moment, which doesn't happen often, where you think oh my god this is either genius or disaster is when you know it's actually something you should be pursuing.
7: This is the first time that we've seen Tatooine in Rebels. Were there any particular locations that you felt you wanted to make into the scene?
2: There were some initial discussions about whether or not we would go to Mos Eisley or someplace a little bit more settled. but as you start plotting out the story and you realize what the central point is and who the characters are that are going to collide you realize you didn't need all that business.
8: We really wanted to show the desolation and how empty it is and how no one would want to live here. So it's actually a pretty great place to hide just because it's so vast and stark. We really just wanted to make it feel reminiscent of what you would see in A New Hope.
0: The opening teaser of the episode, the whole effort of that is to show you that even though Maul knows what planet Obi-Wan's on, it's very hard to find a person on a planet. So I wanted all these long shots to dedicate time to the feeling of hopelessness that he has.
7: This is the first time that we've seen the Alec Guinness version of Mm -hmm. Obi-Wan in animation what are some of the key elements you needed to get that character just right
1: we really went back to a new hope you know he's got a little thing with his mouth that he does and the way sort of his eyes kind of crinkle just a little bit so we tried to sort of get those kind of qualities in it and really pay attention to sort of the idiosyncrasies that he has when he was acting in new hope and tried to sort of get those in along with him being just a little bit younger, not much.
4: If you've watched the behind the scenes for Revenge of the Sith, Ewan McGregor's face, when overlaid on top of Alec Guinness's, lines up incredibly well. Their Mm -hmm. features are actually sort of mapped in a very similar way. They actually have enough similarity in their faces that it's not a difficult thing to translate. So it was one of those things where because the foundations were all there and because in real life those two actors are remarkably similar facially, it was a pretty sort of seamless thing to go from one to the other. And it was more about details of the costume and the hair than anything
0: else. I worked a long time with James Earl and Taylor as Obi-Wan and he's fantastic as Obi-Wan Kenobi and I like his Obi-Wan very much. So for me it was interesting to have him as young Obi-Wan in the hologram at the beginning of this episode and then still be able to portray the Alec Guinness Obi-Wan using Steven Stanton. You know, Stephen happened to say to me in a recording, he's like, you know, I do really good Alec Guinness. And I'm like, really? Okay, let's hear it. And it was just, everyone was pretty
7: shocked. We've seen you portray a spot-on Peter Cushing, and now you're taking on an iconic voice of Alec Guinness. What's the process like for nailing that sort of performance?
6: You do a lot of study of the original actor's performance, because what you really want to do is pay homage to the person that originated the character. They're the ones that came up with that. There is that very sort of fatherly delivery that he has, being the mentor. I think what he does with Luke Skywalker, you can see him treating Ezra the same way in this story. And so you want to study what they did and try to bring as much honesty into their performance as you can, because what you're trying to do is serve the narrative, serve the story, and when you do that right and the two come together, then it works.
7: How do you think Obi-Wan was spending most of his time in the desert?
2: Tatooine is a dangerous place and there's things that a Jedi could do, but at the same time, Kenobi is in a very different place in his life.
8: Obi-Wan is very likely doing a lot of meditating mm-hmm. on the Force and probably deepening himself and he's learning those techniques that Qui-Gon was exploring.
0: Being out there is a journey for him in its own right. It's like a rite of passage and it's like he's gotta stand the heat of the desert and the cold of the night and he has to learn that and I think that's why he ages so significantly. All the cares that he's had, all the people he's seen die,
1: I think that that's all very difficult for him.
7: Alec Innes has a very specific fighting style in A New Hope. What's the process for animating something so iconic?
1: We actually took a little bit of what Ewan did and what Alec did, which was kinda cool because like we didn't have what Ewan did Obviously first so to be able to take like that classic pose that Ewan puts him in where he's like got the saber here And we never got to see Alec do that But we were able to actually sort of make that happen, which I thought was really cool
4: Weirdly the lightsaber probably took as long to get right as Obi-Wan himself the lightsaber was actually from scratch So we did start with the Clone Wars version of Obi-Wan's lightsaber But it wasn't as simple as just painted so it looks old we had to sort of tweak the proportions and, and sort of get it closer to the movies
7: the actual duel between the two masters is very short, like a samurai film. How did you come to the conclusion that it had to be done this way?
9: We never entered into this story trying to think about how satisfying that battle should be. It really became about what was the genuine intention of this moment, and knowing where these two men are at this point in their lives. I think it's important for us, even though on the timeline we aren't to a new hope yet, to think about what we know of Obi-Wan in that movie and to work backwards in some way to make sure that the character's progression charts appropriately.
8: When you've fought someone many times, they're faced off, you kind of know each other's moves. So if you think about it, the buildup to this confrontation and the actual lightsabers hitting each other is actually longer, because they're basically playing it out in their heads. And the amazing thing is the move that Maul tries after the initial exchange, he actually attempts the move that killed Qui-Gon Shen. He tries to basically bash
0: him with the hilt. If you talk to a lot of people that sword fight, they'll tell you people that are very good don't have long fights. It's very quick. And so that scene, it's an homage to the Seven Samurai. I think on one level people would be excited to see another prolonged lightsaber fight, but I just never really saw the confrontation that way because to do that is to say the characters don't have growth. Yes, it's as exciting as an audience member, but it's not a really believable thing. The storytelling has to evolve.
7: Between The Clone Wars and Rebels, you spent a lot of time with Maul. Yes. What's it like finally coming to that moment that everybody's been anticipating?
3: Well, I've been anticipating the moment for a long time. so I- I knew that once we were doing Rebels, I was like, okay, there's no way he can avoid his own death at this point. I'm so grateful that Lucasfilm to even have this opportunity. I mean, every time that you get a hold of one of these characters, it's kind of like a rental, because it's Star Wars. These characters are bigger than the actors that are playing them. I think it's important that you know we're all stewards and we're sort of temporary stewards and we wanna do something really cool and then leave it off somewhere where if in the future someone wants to tell another story, they have that to draw from. I don't think it's the end of the character in terms of people learning more about him I think down the road we'll probably see more but in terms of this story and probably my association with the character this is it and yeah it's been a tremendous privilege. Wow what a great Rebels talk that was a Re- oh Rebels Recon that was awesome.
5: So much going on there.
3: Yeah yeah we heard from Dave we heard from uh, Sam Witwer and uh, uh, Henry Henry Gilroy and man there's there's so much going on here to, to just He's break Satan. down yeah uh, I like how they acknowledge that Maul's been stuck on Tatooine for a while because mm-hmm. it is hard you know, to we find somebody about. on a planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what we were we were talking about that last week or, or the last episode of Rebel Stock, and we we're just like, how, you know, if he's already on his way there, like, is he not going to find him right away? But I guess he's still got yeah, to look. Didn't
5: the, they didn't know the right planet is what we're talking about. So they had to find the right planet and get there and then try to beat Maul.
3: Yeah, so there was no way because Maul already knew where he was going, right? But... You know, he realizes after being stuck in the desert for so long, looking for one man on an entire dustball planet, I'm sure he's searched all the main cities already at this point. And, uh, you know, he realizes I'm not going to be able to do this without Ezra. Like I need to lure Ezra here and the force will show him to Kenobi, which will guide me. Right. So, you know, from the, from the get go when the Tuscan band, that very violent Tuscan band, uh, shows up and takes down Ezra's ship, you know, like Maul takes the, those guys down pretty quickly and uh, makes it look like an accident, you know, as if they ran away, but he's really kind of there to, to follow Ezra and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, use him as yeah, like yeah, a trap. can't
5: let Ezra die because he needs to, yeah, Ezra lead, lead him to Obi-Wan.
3: Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's
5: funny how Obi-Wan just straight up calls him out like immediately.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Um, you know, something I, Something in the beginning of this episode that, uh, that stuck out to me right, right away was that Rex reveals to the group as they're talking about Ezra's suspicion that Obi-Wan Kenobi is alive. Uh, Rex reveals to everyone that, you know, he wishes that Obi-Wan was alive. You know, no one else would wish it more than he, but he reveals that Bail Organa himself confirmed Kenobi's death. And it's unsure as to, like, when this happened and how he mm-hmm. told everybody else. but. Um, that really stuck out to me because it means that even like those within the rebellion don't know he's alive. So only like Mon Mothma and Bale and Leia like know of his existence and that's it. Right. Yeah. And that's why in Rogue One, when well, then, Mon Mothma looks yeah. over at Bale, he's like, she, she kind of whispers to him and says, you're, your Jedi friend. You know, Like she kind of like almost as if it's like a secret. Right. Hmm. And I've always kind of wondered about that because, you know, it's like, okay, you know, Leia's broadcasting, you know, she's sending him a message and stuff. It's like, okay, the Empire knows he's done, dead, but like, how many other people know he's alive still, right? And it's apparent to us now that no one does. It's it's very, yeah, very it's few people. To
5: be extremely small. We now know because of the Obi Wan series that Vader finds out. Mm. But I think, do any of the other um inquisitors no other than breva who i think she's dead
3: well she she, she ends up being at end. redeemed at the end and then we don't know what happens yeah. to her but um but yeah right. i mean this this show having you know taking place over 5 years after obi-wan kenobi ends you know like at the end of the obi-wan kenobi series like vader he was instructed by palpatine to let his obsession with kenobi go right and then same with reva she was redeemed and no longer is hunting jedi and at this point in time from the rebel series we've we've come to realize that you know most of all the inquisitors are are long gone at this point you know uh, since the end of well, season 2 of-
5: they need to be, because by the time we get to the original trilogy, they're, they're not even mentioned, let alone seeing
3: anything. Exactly. And that sort of brings up something to pay attention to for the Ahsoka show, because from what we've seen in the Ahsoka series, there's an Inquisitor in the, in the teasers there, right? So it'll be really interesting the to kind of... last Inquisitor. Yeah, the last Inquisitor. I mean, you know, I, I, I sure hope so. <laughs> but yeah, there's I mean... There's
5: always another one. It seems like coming out of the woodwork.
3: Yeah, totally. Like... You know, I almost, you know, like what's the bet that he was like, you know, hiding out on Exegol that whole time or whatever, you know, like
5: (laughs) he was was in cryo freeze, lost in space. Yeah,
3: yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Oh man. Um, yeah, it's, it's a bit between the lines, but Ezra only realizes that Maul wants to kill Obi-Wan in this episode, right? Like prior to that, he only knows that Maul wants the, uh, the key to, or he wants, uh, he wants hope. Right, that's what he tells Ezra initially. Is that he wants hope, um, and I don't really know how that has to do with, with killing Obi Wan Kenobi in the end necessarily. Where the, you know, where, where all well,
5: the he wants he wants a reason to live. Like he feels like there's nothing that he, is that to achieve.
3: Yeah, and I think we, we were talking about how sort of all the the story threads are sort of tied together with, you know, hope slash key to destroying the Sith, you know, slash like whatever else. Um, Obi Wan has a lot to do with all that. So when Maul realizes that like Obi Wan's alive, you know, through the the hope that he he kind of seeks, right, he kind of goes back to his old self immediately, and he's hellbent on revenge to to kill Mm -hmm. Obi Wan, right?
5: That's all he knows, right? That's that's how he was he was raised and trained. Yeah, he was an assassin.
3: Yeah, exactly. So you know, there is there. It's cool that they kind of. You know, give us the idea as to sort of what happens with that story, his intentions, his motives behind... Because this is a very vengeful guy. And, you know, that's everything. Like you say, you know, th- that's all he knows. That's all he knows how to do. Um, what do you think of the fight?
6: So,
5: I remember when this first came out, I was annoyed because I wanted this cool epic battle. And yeah. it's very quick. And Bryce was actually the first one to call out to me that people who are really, really well-trained in their combat, their their fights are very quick, very fast. And I didn't pick up on the details between Obi-Wan um, taking his original classic prequel stance, and then there's kind of a bit of a standoff, and then he adjusts and he takes the defensive stance that Qui-Gon takes. And that makes Darth Maul adjust his stance to attack the same way that he attacked Qui-Gon. Uh, but Obi-Wan, knowing what was going to happen, was able to uh, change the event. So really, he's uh, avenging his master in this moment. And there's this, this is something that we had talked about uh, a number of years ago. And Dave Filoni actually spoke directly about this. And I put a link here about that.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. While you're talking there, I was able to bring it up here. So, so we'll, we'll all hear this. So let's take a listen.
0: Contrasted versus the anger in the one man, and that guy's moving his feet a lot and he's, you know, he doesn't have a steady position. And I'm like, well, there you have it. I mean, Obi-Wan has intention. He is calm in this moment. He is centered. Maul is on the edge. Maul is angry. Maul is getting ready. I want to kill you. I've been waiting for this. You know, he's all this energy built
1: up. It's much more about, Footwork and the thought process that Obi Wan has. It starts out as young Obi Wan, and then we shift him to sort of more what Alec would do when he was fighting. And then the very last one, if you look back at a Phantom Menace, and you can see what Qui Gon's doing. We sort of just move him just a little bit right after Maul changes his.
3: Yeah, there you go. Mhm. Uh, very cool. A lot of thought went into that. Um what I really like about kind of like, and, and it's taken some time to grow on me over the years because I've thought to myself, like anyone, you know, I, I love a good long lightsaber duel, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. like how cool would it be to see that happen in the middle of the desert between Maul and Obi-Wan and have this big Epic kind of finale for his story. But there is something very unique and very um, special about how he kind of goes out. Right. Like we're talking about sort of, you know, Vader, Vader is not necessarily Obi-Wan's arch nemesis, right? Like that right. that is sort of Luke's story. You know, like there's a big confrontation, there's a big battle between Obi-Wan and Anakin, but it's not like they're lifelong rivals. They're brothers, and it's a tragedy when when they do fight, and it's 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 a moment to be remembered for what it is. But um but Maul is really there. He's there, he's the phantom menace. Like he, you know, or well, he's one of the two, I guess. And he's been there since the beginning. He's the one that's caused Obi-Wan all this pain and suffering. He's the one who killed his master. He's the one who killed Satine. You know, he's the one that's been hunting this dude. He's the one who's been hunting this dude since the beginning, right? So, like, to have these characters kind of face off the way they do and have this very sort of, I mean, true... Yeah, this, like, kind of true-to-life moment where one of them dies in the other's arms... You know, and, and, and how Obi-Wan really genuinely just does not want to fight this guy anymore. He's done. You know, like, he's... And he
5: seems so tired. He's, he's just like, I'm yeah. really only doing this because I have to.
3: Yeah, and it really, really does play into the original, original intentions behind Alec Guinness's Obi-Wan when they're approaching the Death Star, and he, and he immediately says, like, there are alternatives to fighting. And it's like, you can see where his mind kind of goes at this point in time in his life, you know? Like, he's... The battle is gone like he's kind of the the transformation in the last 19 years since the Jedi purge you know clearly a lot has happened and since the Obi-Wan Kenobi show we've kind of come to realize that the events of that show has transformed him as a character as a person and the enlightenment that he has at the end of the series when he finally is able to see Qui-Gon as a force ghost is also a very kind of step big step forward in his, uh, in his Jedi training, you know, cause even as a, even as a master, he is still training as Yoda puts it, um, which is kind of the next 20 years of his life as he's almost rediscovering kind of what it is to be a Jedi, even, even at this point in time. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I find it interesting that Maul knows of the prophecy of the chosen one and how the hope that he seeks you know, might actually have something to do with that and how he thinks that, you know, maybe through the Chosen One, the balance is restored because he's neither a Sith or a Jedi, right? So he, 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 wa- he walks in the dark because he's a very vengeful person, but it's the sorrow that, that keeps him there as a person, that he just can't break away from that, that well, you know, like that pit of darkness that he lives in, but he still has hope that things can be better for him someday, right? And um I don't know is he's just one of those people that just can't be happy. Right? And I think I think we all kind of know people like that. But um I, I really like it's how He's
5: never it, satisfied, right? Right. And the yeah. The fact that he's against such, such impossible odds just adds to the fact that he, at this point I think the reason why he wanted hope is because his goal of overthrowing Palpatine, he you knows is just completely unreachable at this point.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's, he's sort of, he's lost everything. You know, he's lost his family. His brother's dead. Sidious killed him, right? Like, there's, there's, he's got nothing left. Mother Talzin's dead. Um, Sidious killed her, her too. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, in, in the same way that he's sort of kind of affected Obi-Wan's life, the Sith have sort of affected him. So this fight is really kind of, it's so personal. You what report yourself. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I I really love that moment where he kind of dies and Obi-Wan catches him in his arms and, you know, just kind of lets him be. And he sort of asks his dying question is like, you know, he knows that Obi-Wan's protecting somebody. And so, like, he asks him is like, is he the chosen one? Because he know, he's a Sith Lord, like he knows the prophecy of the Chosen One. This is, a, this is a prophecy that Palpatine was probably obsessed with when he heard that there was a young boy that came to the Jedi or, Order who was so, the, the so-called prophesied Chosen One, right? Like, you know, the Chancellor knew about this. And, um, you know, Dooku would have known about this too. And, and so, you know, Anakin was famous. Oh. Everybody knew him, right?
5: So, I was wondering about this because the Chosen One storylines got so muddled in the last handful of movies because Palpatine didn't die. Right?
3: I think what we have to continuously just remember, though, is that this is in the continuity of George's story, Star Wars mm-hmm. Rebels. So, you know, Dave Filoni with the intentions of the Chosen One being. You know, it's in, all in reference to Anakin Skywalker, and if we consider the end of Episode Six as a reset point, it it just means that a, a second Chosen One needed to come along and restore balance again because things went sour. Well, was
5: Ray right? ever officially confirmed as a Chosen One? Was that all no. just speculation? No, she wasn't. Okay. But
3: but Anakin through the forest kind of speaks to her and says. You know, bring balance to the force as I once did. So I assume that means that maybe she is like a second chosen one, um, or if not, maybe you know, m- maybe there was just that. That was, was a just big a, fan theory
5: that the chosen one is like a like a cycle.
3: Yeah, that was a big fan theory. Yeah. Now I think if it, like we could definitely go deep into this at some point and and really kind of get into it because. There is a lot to be said about the prophecy of the chosen one. We'll, we'll we'll pick apart all the references across Star Wars and really kind of get into the nitty gritty at some point. And you know, we'll find time to do that. I think after Ahsoka's wrapped up, we'll put it on the list because yeah, I, I, I it is a really good subject to talk about. And you know, I love talking about that stuff um, because Episode Nine does throw in some questions and a bit of a wrench mm. into things. But
5: then the Qui Gon book kind of also like tightens a little bit as well
3: uh yeah yeah the master and apprentice book yeah and you know mm-hmm. tightens up a little bit on that and so yeah there, there, there's definitely a lot there to be to be discussed but um you know the the bottom line is Anakin is the chosen one right and Obi-Wan no longer believes this because he's been so hurt and like so mm-hmm. traumatized by basically I mean now that we've got Obi-Wan Kenobi as a show now we understand a little more as to why right? Like, you know, it's like, like, I mean, Mustafar, if that wasn't enough, you know, you saw this guy in tears, you know, basically apologizing to this monstrous looking human being in the suit, you know, after besting him in battle, he didn't even, he couldn't even bring himself to kill him, right? And it's like, you know, why would you kill something that's already dead? And, uh, it's, it's a sad moment for him, right? And like, uh, you know, he he apologized again, and he's like, I'm so sorry, and, you know, I think he really takes what he says as fact when, when Anakin says to him, you know, you didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did. And he's mm-hmm. like, yeah, okay, at that point, I think Anakin, you know, Obi-Wan really does believe Anakin is dead, Anakin is gone. There's no return for him, right? Like, that's why when he sends Luke off to fight Vader, you know, the intention is to defeat him, right? But not necessarily bring him back to the light side. That was just something that he was able to do, but you know, no one Yoda or Obi-Wan, neither of them saw that coming. Right. Um, They didn't even think of it as an option (laughs) because they, they all think that he's, there's, he's too far gone. Like there's no hope for him anymore. So Obi-Wan thinks that Luke is the chosen one because to Obi-Wan, Luke is, you know, to put it, you know, no pun intended. He is, he is a new hope for the Mm -hmm. Jedi. He is he is the the singular thing that Obi-Wan thinks of that can really fix things, you know, if he does his best to train Luke, you know, in the ways of the Jedi, which has been his intention for a long time. And uh that matters a lot to him. So so when Maul asks him, like, you know, is he the chosen one? That's why Obi Wan says he is. Because that's what he believes. You know, from a certain point of view, Anakin is dead. And his son is the best chance we have. So I like you know, that they did that. Yeah.
5: Did they ever? Have they ever said if Luke and Leia also have extremely high midi chlorian count, or was that only Anakin?
3: I mean, it's it's no secret that Luke and Leia are very gifted in the Force. They've never really gotten into that though. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
5: That's a good question for George though. I, I bet you just be like sure.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. like George. Thanks yeah.
5: hey, George. That's canon now.
3: <laughs> As a, in a nutshell, I would consider this easily. This is easily on the top 10 rebels episodes of all time. You know, no, no secret there, but I would oh, be
5: unquestionably,
3: I would be willing to put it in my top three. Like this episode is so good that You know, it's like you can just throw this episode at anyone who's never seen Rebels before and just give them like a rundown as to who Ezra Bridger is. And they'll still enjoy it. You know what I mean?
5: Absolutely. So I will say, knowing the history of the characters and even just coming out of Phantom Menace and then seeing this. But if you know, if you've seen Phantom Menace, you've seen all the Clone Wars. You you could probably even skip Rebels and just go... But if you've seen those two things, it just it just adds so much more to it because it just gives so much depth to what's happening in this in this moment.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, totally. It, it's really
5: just this culmination of these these two characters usually intertwined storylines.
3: Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I would give this. Man, I mean like I'm torn. I like I w- I almost want to give this like a a 3 Pablo points. Oh, dang. I yeah, you know, it, it's just uh it's so good. I think the only thing that could have made it even better is if Ezra just wasn't in the story, but <laughs> 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 No, I'm just I just, I'm just wasn't there. I'm just I'm just pulling you like. I mean, uh, <laughs> although I mean there's a grain of truth behind that somewhere, but at the same time like it's like yeah, it is like what we're what we heard in the Rebels Recon episode. This is Ezra's story, right? So it's got to be done sort of from from his perspective. But uh, it, it's so it's so good, though. I mean, I'm gonna give this one a, a like a 2.5 Pablo points. It's really it's high up there.
5: That's what I was like two, two It was two and a half. Yeah, but you know what? Have given me uh, I would have given that extra quarter point. What's that if they had the budget to make a real child Luke Skywalker model? Yeah. Running scene.
3: Yeah, that was kind of jank, wasn't it?
5: They're just so far away, you just see this outline of Luke running towards the, the homestead. I'm positive that they just use like a, a season one Ezra model and change his hair to blonde. Nice. <laughs> that's my guess anyway, that's what I would have done.
3: Oh man. Yeah, so good. Okay, cool. Well, uh, let's hit up the finale. Uh, uh, the f- final two episodes here, it's a bundle, it's a, it's a two part package, so we'll talk about it as one. Uh, this is season three, episode 21 and 22, Zero Hour, part one and part two. Directed by Justin Ridge, uh, written by Stephen Melching, that's part one, and written by Henry Gilroy and Matt Mitchnevitz for part two. The episode premiered on Disney XD March 18th, 2017. And guest stars Tom Baker, Kevin McKidd, Michael Bell, Genevieve O'Reilly, Clancy Brown, Nathan Kress, Ritesh Rajan, and Sharmala uh, Devar. Uh, And this is the summary for the finale. The finale of season three. Various rebel cells begin to gather at Adelon to prepare for the attack on Lothal. However, Thrawn is aware of the rebel plans and tells Governor Price and Grand Moff Tarkin that the real performance is about to begin, as he has already planned a trap for them. Kallus tries to warn the rebels but is captured by Thrawn. Thrawn traces Kallus' transmission and determines that the rebel base's location at Adalon. Thrawn sends his fleet to Adalon and uh, includes two interdictor cruisers. With the interdictors in orbit, it is impossible for the rebel ships to escape, and the fleet is forced to fight a losing battle against the Imperials. Knowing that their only chance is to send someone out to summon the rest of the rebel fleet, Commander Sato sacrifices himself by crashing his carrier into Constantine's interdictor, giving Ezra a window to escape. On Adalon, Kanan attempts to ask the Bendu for help, but the Bendu is reluctant uh, due to its neutral role. Kanan then accuses the Bendu of being a coward, which angers Bendu, and it disappears. In hyperspace, Ezra contacts Mon Mothma for help, but she's unable to send reinforcements due to the fear of them getting caught in another of Thrawn's traps. With no options left, Ezra decides to ask Sabine for help. With the battle going poorly, the rebels are forced to retreat back to the base on Adalon and activate the shield generator, protecting them from the Imperial fleet's bombardment. Thrawn responds by sending a ground force to assault the base, and Ezra reaches Sabine and convinces her and Rao to lead a small Mandalorian force to destroy the remaining interdictor cruiser, which will allow the rebels to escape. Thrawn's forces breach the base's defenses, but before he can capture the rebels, the Bendu intervenes attacking the Imperial forces and distracting them long enough for the Rebels to evacuate, but but it attacks them as well. At the same time, Ezra and Sabine destroy the Interdictor and Callus escapes imprisonment and ejects in an escape pod to be picked up by the Ghost Crew. The Rebel fleet then escapes back on the surface. Thrawn incapacitates the Bendu who warns Thrawn that it has already foreseen his death. Refusing to believe this, Thrawn attempts to kill Bendu personally, but it disappears before the shot could even hit the ground, before the shot could even hit. The remaining rebel fleet leaves to rendezvous with the rest of the rebellion at Yavin 4, and Hera promises to help Sabine and the Mandalorians on an upcoming mission. Ezra is worried about the massive defeat the rebellion has suffered, but Kanan points out that it is in fact a victory since they escaped. He then tells Ezra that he foresees a future where everybody is free but that they will have to fight to make it happen. This is the last episode to take place in 2 BBY. That's two years before the Battle of Yavin, two years prior to the events of A New Hope. And with that said, this is Rebels Recon.
7: Bendu is sort of the star of these episodes, but he leaves fans with more questions than answers. Are there any other additional nuggets of insight that you can share about this mysterious
9: character? I think the wonderful thing about Bendu is that he doesn't represent a point of view between dark and light. He just exists. The best part about that is he's able to comment on the very nature of existence without feeling like he is in defense of any particular side. These are all human intentions and human goals, and Bendu does not represent that. He represents something that is immaterial and also bigger than all of us and I think it's important to keep that perspective on the drama that's unfolding.
0: Ultimately, I've always thought Bendu's goal is to sleep, and he keeps getting woken up, and then he has to deal with it. He has a large range of emotions, and he's been around a very long, long time. So things that seem like a problem to all these people, to Bendu, he's like, I don't even want you to explain it to me, I don't care. But you need a character that kind of is a bit beyond the characters that you have, that knows vastly more, but that is not going to solve their problems, that's going to push them in the right way. And Bendu does it for all of
10: them, including Thrawn.
7: We see Bendu take on his elemental form in Zero Hour. How did your crew go about creating this new manifestation of the Force?
10: Developing how he turns it into a storm, that would be the easy part. The hard part is actually selling him as a storm. Dave showed me a picture he took driving to work one day of the sun breaking through the clouds. And you see these bright, somewhat organic shapes that almost look like eyes. And he's like, that's Bendu.
4: Because Bendu is very much a sort of throwback to 80s puppeteering in general the decision was made that whatever that effect would ultimately be would have that sort of retro cloud tank like Ghostbusters, Poltergeist, Close Encounters, Mm -hmm. big volumes of ink in a fish tank kind of feel.
1: That was probably one of the biggest and hardest things I think we've done so far of combining animation and effects. And it's not something you usually see in a TV show, but it looks awesome in the end.
10: I fell back onto the method that I've been doing throughout the show from the very beginning, which is painting it and making the painting come to life basically just sitting in my office and painting Macquarie-style clouds and bringing them to life.
7: The finale is the culmination of all of Thrawn's plans this season. Is there an additional challenge to writing such an intellectual character like Thrawn, especially for a show with a younger audience?
0: I don't really think about it like, will the kids understand that? Because I always know the kids will understand the intent anyway if they don't understand exactly what Thrawn is saying. They'll understand his intention because Lara's performance
8: gives it to you. I never think of Star Wars as a show for kids. I think it is a show for everyone. Thrawn, we really tried to adapt right out of the novels. Timothy Zahn's books really create a a well-rounded, fantastic character. And I think a lot of kids might want to read the books after they've seen these episodes because Thrawn is a villain that you usually don't get in animation.
2: I've heard Tim Zahn describe writing Thrawn as basically playing both sides of a chessboard. And we've been trying to do the same thing in the television series. And this is finally sort of the end game of this particular round.
7: Last year, we were introduced to Death Troopers in Rogue One. Since Rogue and Rebels were essentially in production at the same time, what was the process for bringing them into the show?
4: The movies tend to be a little more elastic than we are. We have to sort of decide pretty early in the process what the episode's going to be. We knew they would be in the movie and we knew that they would be tall and thin and they would wear a black variant of Stormtrooper armor but the details hadn't been entirely worked out so we were working from test shots And the sort of final details hadn't really been completely nailed down, but it's what we had to go with.
0: It just made sense when we were all discussing it internally and with Story Group that Thrawn would be a person that actually gets to have those guys. For us, it served several purposes. It was to show that he was really making his move and he brought in the top elite troopers to support him in this time. Also, it's a great connection to Rogue One. We knew the film would be out by this time and we wanted to start integrating the continuity of everything, which means there will be more of that stuff in season four.
7: So the space battle that we see is probably one of the biggest space battles we've seen in the show so far. Mm -hmm. What's the trick to animating a scene like that?
1: We do a lot of tricks. We do a lot of cards and things like that to make it so that we don't have to render all the ships and everything. We've kind of found ways to make sure we can get a lot on screen, but not actually tax the machines too terribly for an animated series.
10: We use as many of the actual practical explosion elements from episode four, five, and six Mm -hmm. as possible. So those are all stage elements. So if you have a ship flying across the frame, all you really need to do is take one of those stage elements and just put it on the ship and make it blow up. And then you shine a light on the ship and give it the effect of the illumination of the explosion on the ship and you buy it.
7: Bendu predicts Thrawn's fate when he says, I see your defeat like many arms surrounding you in a cold embrace. Is there anything more you can say about that?
8: Thrawn's victories come through his analyzing tactics and deduction. It's completely cerebral. And what Bendu is trying to say here is, I know what's going to happen to you, and the way I know it is through intuition.
0: I think in the end it's a question of, is that a literal thing? And that's what's important for Thrawn to try and decide, and what's important for the audience to decide. As much as he has a win at the end of this season, he also kind of reveals a weakness, which I don't know if is apparent or not, but it's definitely there.
3: All right, there we go. And, uh, you know, with that said, I actually did not realize that all those explosions were practical elements used in the original trilogy. That's really, really cool. No,
5: I didn't either. I also caught that when they were talking there.
3: I was wondering, though, because I was like, man, those look really good. Like, (laughs) (laughs) turns out this is because they're real. (laughs) That makes
5: sense. Yeah, they don't normally do stuff like that in animated shows. No,
3: yeah, they don't. So it was cool to see them, you know, kind of blend some elements from those original films into the series that that's supposed to tie in you know with those films uh you know very and we're we're kind of approaching the end the end of the line here so
5: that's true yeah i kind of want to watch the space battle now and see if i can actually notice yeah yeah particular used elements
3: yeah i i also uh i love how they talked about the death troopers showing up in this episode mm-hmm. because that was de- definitely you know, a good Rogue One tie-in and uh, how they had to work with the concepts of those characters at the time, you know, because they, they do these episodes so far in advance, you know, they build all the models and have to animate, uh, you know, the episode. And, you know, then again, it's also, you know, the finale to the season. So it's coming out way later than everything else is so that, you know, they really don't have time to change anything. um, And so it, it's just um, well thought of, you know, and I think uh, I didn't... I didn't notice a crazy big difference between them and the live action uh, versions. I, th- I think they had less stuff on their torso, you know, less uh, utility belts and whatever else. But, you know, for the I most really part... I
5: looked at the helmet, and the helmet looked pretty much the same. I didn't notice anything different.
3: Yeah, the helmet looked pretty much the same, I think. Um, and, they,
5: and they had the uh, the really short blaster rifles as well, which was accurate.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it it's looked, good. looked good. Like, right away, you can kind of tell what they are, so...
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I noticed some, my first thought was, is this the first time we've seen them?
3: <laughs> I believe so. I believe so. It
5: must be if they're talking about it.
3: I think, yeah, I think they are, because like, uh, um, if, if I don't know, yeah, you know what, I think they might be, if not, maybe they showed up in like one episode earlier, maybe around when we saw Saw Guerrera or something like that, but I don't know, it, it could be the first time.
5: I think it's got to be, or else they wouldn't be bringing it up. Yeah. I'm positive that they start to show up more in the following
3: season. Yeah, they they definitely do. And that's what Dave said, I think. He said, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, we have to bring them back for season four. Yeah, That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, General Dodonna shows up in this episode and unites the fleet uh, with that of the one on Atalon. So that was cool. We got to see General Dodonna in animation. Yeah, um, that's
5: kind of a confirmation, because last episode we were talking about if we're actually seeing the, the same rebels, right, that we've been seeing in New Hope. Because mm-hmm. we are talking about in, in Rogue One, we weren't sure if Red Squadron was there.
3: Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I love how Callus uses Ezra's place as a base of operations. Did you catch that? I, at least I think it was Ezra's place, because there was a stormtrooper helmet there.
5: No, i I think I missed that,
3: so when when Kallus goes no, probably, to No,
5: you're right no it's his tower right the yeah. His tower? yeah yeah Ezra's yeah, place I, like I noticed that. yeah I, I think I noticed that in a previous episode that he was he's speaking from there i
3: in don't it, I don't have we seen it before? i don't, I don't think we saw it before. Sounds... I thought this was the, like the first time that we see him actually make the transmission, like on his end. Mm-hmm. But I thought, I don't know, either way, like, I thought it was, like, a really cool kind of little nod to how maybe the Rebellion hooked him up with Ezra's old place, you know, because he, he would hide out in there, you know, the street thief, right?
5: Yeah, that was his home when we met him. And it is a radio tower, so it makes sense, that would have the tech there, be able to do broadcast.
3: Exactly, yeah. And uh, Thrawn... It's too
5: bad that he didn't notice that Thrawn was following him from that giant <laughs> yeah. flat plane in the ladder.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, Thrawn, Thrawn basically going alone to confront him is uh, is pretty sweet. It's pretty badass. And, uh, you know, he doesn't use any weapons or anything like that, you know, in the fight. He just kind of takes him head on with muscle and gets his death troopers to just make the final arrest. But he, like, beats him up pretty good. And it's like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Like, Thrawn is, is, it's not just his mind that's, like, pretty deadly. Like, he's a, he's a good fighter.
5: Yep. He's a, he's a honed
3: weapon. Yeah. It makes me wonder, like, you know, if we see any of this action going on in, in the Ahsoka show, because, like, that's good. That would be pretty sweet if we did. But, um, again, That'd we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, last time we were talking about the design on the bottom of Thrawn's ship, and uh, I can mm-hmm. now confirm this design is called... Uh, the chimera it's it's actually the name of his ship which i i did i was able to present that last time but i I didn't realize that the the creature on the bottom of the ship is the chimera hence the name of the ship itself Um, interesting but a chimera is a three-headed monstrous creature and it's used as the symbol of various uh individual organizations during the waning years of the the galactic and the empire, but originally it's a symbol of the Mar, uh, the Marroxa sub clan. And,
5: uh, chest thing.
3: it's, so it was, um, something in the Thrawn ascendancy series. And, uh, the, the clan is, um, you know what? Don't ask me what the clan is. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Where's,
5: where's the Wikipedia guy? Yeah, you know? yeah,
3: yeah, exactly, yeah. Where's the, where's Se Supreme Emperor? Um, That's
5: right, where's the Supreme Emperor?
3: Yeah. Anyways, so uh, Thrawn's flagship, hence the name, you know, the, calling it the Chima- Chimera, uh, this, this big, huge, monstrous three-headed creature is painted on the bottom of his, of his ship. And it's also worth noting that an adapted version, a very, very simplified geometric version of this three-headed creature is also the logo that appears on a lot of Thrawn's droids. So in the Mandalorian episode where we see Morgan Elizabeth take on Ahsoka in that like little town there's a bunch of kind of deadly assassin style droids uh, bearing that logo and it is the logo of the seventh fleet and last time I think I, I referred to Thrawn's uh, fleet as the seventh fleet and uh that's mm. that's the logo of the seventh fleet so the seventh fleet uses that little round logo with the three kind of triangular shapes inside of it um as sort of like their emblem and then the flagship being the chimera uses the full detailed image on the bottom of the ship so that that's what all oh, of that well. is about
5: That's pretty cool. I'm just Googling here. Someone actually has the emblem tattooed on their forearm. Really? So there's an idea.
3: Wow. Yeah. That's pretty sweet.
5: Commitment. They really like Thrawn.
3: No kidding. That's... that's yeah, uh, I can't blame him. I mean, Thorn's he's... Badass. He's, uh, he's in better waters than the, the guy who got a big Jar Jar face on his back before the Phantom Menace came out.
5: <laughs> Maybe for the next raffle, we'll pay for a uh, Thrawn tattoo.
3: Would you, pay a someone, would you pay someone to get a Jar Jar tattoo?
5: A Jar
3: Jar tattoo. Um, I mean, we love Jar Jar around here. I'm not, you know, this, for anyone who doesn't know, yeah, you know, we love make Jar Jar. Them do it
5: against their will. <laughs> if they wanted to get a Jar Jar tattoo, no, but if I would someone consider it.
3: <laughs> oh man, I would not get myself a Jar Jar tattoo. Even though, <laughs> even though I do love Jar Jar, I would I would not take money from anyone to to get one.
5: <laughs> I would get. Jar Jar, maybe like uh, a bit of like a semi choking face with his tongue, like all like blown out and all like stringy, and I get it just behind my ear. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a, in the neck area there. Or like him or like sticking neck, his tongue neck.
3: out and it, his tongue just like kind of like going right against the edge oh, of your right lips. Of
5: yeah. Oh. Oh gosh. I was gonna say <S laughs> it comes around, the the tongue comes around like into the uh, like the the middle of your ear. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <You kill. laughs> oh jeez uh Commander Sato meets his uh his demising end in in this episode, so he sacrifices himself with that big huge hangar bay floating fortress kind of triangular ship, um, hence the reason why we don't see it later I was
5: uh, really sad to see that go. I like that ship a lot yeah,
3: yeah, and also like that character has been kind of a main character in the in their like rebel contacts list for a while. Like since like season one, I think
5: season one. Yeah. Sato. Mm-hmm. He's been
3: around for a long time. So like, it was kind of crazy that they killed off one of their star, you know, rebels, original characters sort of thing. But I guess they had to, cause he's like a high ranking guy that you don't see later. Right.
5: The only problem is he should have did the Holdo move and he could have took out the whole fleet. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Uh, why, why was he so stupid?
5: <laughs> Man, only, no, he calls himself a, a bridge commander.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Mon reveals that Bill did not think that they were ready for open warfare, and that was kind of interesting as well, because you know clearly they weren't and uh, they aren't. But you know, give it two years, and you know they're sort of, sort of doing it to save their own skin, but they do it anyways. And uh, you know, it was it was sort of like one of that one of that little. Just a little line that like st- sticks out is like, oh, interesting. So that trio of people that we see in Andor, you know, uh, Mon Mothma, Luthan. And even though we don't see Bale, we know he's behind the scenes somewhere, you know, doing his thing. Uh, you know, he's got some weight to some of the decisions made within the rebellion. And, you mm-hmm. know, if, if Mon reveals that Bale doesn't think they're ready for open warfare, you know, that g- gives a bit of a bit of a, a shed some light on kind of why they haven't attacked you know anything yet you know they they, they were planning to attack the tie defender based on Lothal but that ended up not working out so you know yeah it's just nope, something it's good interesting point. yeah
5: yeah because uh, this episode also kind of shed some light on why in a new hope they don't really have much of a fleet
3: right yeah right. it's not so very big
5: Okay, I'm trying. Is this so? At this point in Rebels in the timeline, is it a- after Rogue One? No, it's got to be before, because Rogue One's right before New Hope. Okay.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, it, they also took some losses at Scarif too.
5: Yeah. So I'm t- I'm thinking right now. So kind of what's going through my head. So, so I noticed Dave also said that they're heading off to Yavin. I think. Yeah. I think you wrote down there. So that means they're in Yavin for at least for over a year. Cause it's, this is two BBY at the end
3: of two BBY. Well, general Dodonna's section of the fleet is mm-hmm. there. Right. But the other, okay. the other, uh, section of the rebel Alliance is on Adalon. So they've got two, they've got two separate kind of,
5: Oh, so were they on Yavin before they came here? Yeah, well, I think at
3: some point, yeah, I don't know how long they've been there. Dodonna's group, that is. Maybe they've been there for a while as a a cell and just kind of it's grown. But we know now that now that the base on Adalon, they can't go back there. So now, you know, they're going off to hide on Yavin for with Mm Dodonna's crew because... You know, the the other base didn't work out. But it's good that they've got more than one location, right? Because otherwise it would be game over. Wipe them out with one swift stroke. Yeah, exactly. And that's where that line comes from. Because, like, maybe Tarkin knows, like, this is where they all are, right? This is where everything is. So, there you go. Just
5: based on the fact that in the following films, we see, like, the Mon Calamari and everything. Like, I still don't think that's true.
3: Yeah, although, I mean, there is a couple years between Episode 5 and 6, like three mm-hmm. three years to be exact, and one year between Episode 4 and 5. So, you know, there is some time in there to tell a story as to, you know, how that worked out. And I believe from my really foggy memory, this was a storyline that was visited in the Star Wars comic book series, which is that... that ongoing series that they've had going on for, for a long time now, since like 2015. Okay. Um, and about
5: a, the recruiting of the Mon Cal,
3: uh, it was somewhere in there. Yeah. And I, I think it okay. was in the first set. So the first set is like 12 or 13 volumes long. I forget how many issues that is, but you can, I think there's like an omnibus now. And that was between episodes four and five. And now the current star Wars ongoing series run is between episode five and six. So, uh, I don't know where in there they did the story cause I haven't read all of them. Uh, in fact, I have to admit, I think I've only read up to like volume six out of the first initial 12. There's just so much on my list to do that. You know, I just haven't finished. There's that a lot of bit. comics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, my plan is to start fresh and go from the beginning again and then actually finish it this time. But, um, it's been a couple of years since I, you know, left off at, at volume six, but, um, you know, point being, um, somewhere in there, there is a story where it does fill in those gaps. So uh, it, what I thought was interesting is there was a Mandalorian civil war going on during the events of all of this, right? So when Sabine kind of like stayed behind on, on uh, you know, her home planet there with Rao and uh, makes amends with her family and everything like that, there's a bit of a power struggle going on while Ezra and the rest of, you know, all of these characters that we've been seeing for the last couple episodes now you know, they've there's been some time, right? And Sabine kind of reveals, like, oh, yeah, there's been a big, huge civil war going on, or maybe her mom mentions it or whatever. But like there's there's been a power struggle there. Did you find that was kind of interesting?
5: Well, I did. Uh, but I guess kind of going on knowing what's happening in the following seasons, it kind of makes sense because where we left off with the Mandalorian storyline is they they killed Gar Saxon. So it makes sense that, whoever was next to command would step up to take over well, like his uh, kind of his legion of troopers that are fighting for the empire. So it's not, it's not like they're just going to dissolve. Right. Right. So, so something's going to happen there. So now that they've made the first strike by killing Gar Saxon, it's like now they're, they're in open civil war.
3: Yeah. And you know, that being said season four actually kicks off with a story arc called heroes of Mandalore. And um, you know we will very quickly get back into that story and, and kind of find out what's going on there. And I forget how uh, how long we linger there before we move on from Mandalore and, and uh, focus I think on it's other stories. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was like there was a few episodes in season four that have to do with Mandalore. But what I'm looking forward to talking about is how that ties into what we know happens with Moff Gideon and the whole purge and Bo Katan and everything like that. Um, mm-hmm. that's, yeah,
5: because Moff Gideon wasn't a character yet at this point in the creation of the timeline. Exactly. So I'm not sure how he ties in.
3: Yeah, because when Mandalorian Season 1 came out, when that finale came out, and Moff Gideon steps out of his TIE fighter and pulls out the Darksaber, it was like, whoa, hold on a second. Like, what? Because like think- we, we, hadn't, we hadn't had a live-action Bo-Katan yet, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, like this moment kind of shows up and it's just like, okay, like how did now he, get, do with it. how did he, yeah. How did he get the dark saber? Cause like the last I heard, it. like the last I saw was star Wars rebels season four. And you know, we know that Bo Katan had it and, uh, you know, you can connect the dots for all these. who hadn't seen, haven't seen season four of rebels yet. You know, I guess it's sort of a read between the lines sort of thing, but like she gets it from Sabine. Right. And, um, I think the armorer actually talks about that in the book of Boba Fett. But it was it's just one of those things. It's like, okay, you know, rewatching this show again, do we have an opportunity to sort of look at what we have ahead of this story and kind of try and connect some dots? You know, make a make more, more sense of all of this. Uh, maybe theorize as to what happened. So yeah, looking forward to that.
5: Yeah, pretty I'm pretty curious about this too. It must be something that like happens right towards the Like the end, I guess. Um, Well, it depends on how this this how the finale of season four goes. Because really, all I remember is that Thrawn disappears and like. I
3: think I think the finale is like the the Lothal thing.
5: Oh, sorry, I forgot. I forgot to put this. Spoilers, (laughs) because they're talking about season four. (laughs) There you go. You've been post warned.
3: (laughs) post. post. <laughs> Post warned is right. Uh, Bendu's warning for um, oh, sorry, uh, ben, yeah, Bendu, Bendu blowing up Tie fighters and Y-wings during the storm really takes the uh, I am angry and don't care which side I hurt. But he did spare Kanan's life and his crew, so that was that was all right. But he d- was d- that
5: by coincidence though.
3: No idea, no idea. He did, he did. He looked like he could have killed him. I guess he just didn't. But then again, Literally it's like
5: doing too fast; he couldn't get him.
3: I guess, uh, yeah, I don't know. I like, he, I, wait. I know you mentioned before that you aren't a huge fan of the Bendu, but like w- w- now that you've seen the finale and sort of how this all wraps up, I, I as far as I know, we don't see him again. But like, what what do you think of the Bendu now that we've had season three is behind us?
5: He's almost more interesting of a character, in the fact that he's more of an enigma. I think. What do you? originally it seemed like he was just kind of a force wielder that was in the middle, but now it seems like he is significantly more mystical. I
3: think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I th- yeah, it was, it, it's all the way
5: up till here, this point, like his character to me was more annoying than anything else. Right. Like, he, just, he felt very out of place.
3: Right. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Well, if anyone else has any, uh, opinions about Bandu, you know, shoot us an email. Let us know on Twitter. Uh, Give us
5: your rating of him. Yeah. Is he Pablo Pudu's? Is he Pablo Points? Is he a Bendu? Is he a Uh, Bendu?
3: I wonder if Bendu is a Bendu.
5: Man. My opinion of him is probably a (laughs) Bendu. You want Pudu. Pudu. That's right around there.
3: (laughs) Fair enough. Ezra and Sabine's Mandalorian assisted attack on the Interdictor was very cool. You know, we saw a lot of action there. that was pretty much it. <laughs> I don't know. There's not a lot to talk about, really. Um, Ezra gets, uh, no. gets a, Ezra gets a spacesuit. Yeah, that's whatever. Bendu has a warning for Thron, for his defeat. Um, that many arms in a cold embrace, and uh, you know, previously yeah, in the I summary, wrote that down too. yeah, previously in the summary, I actually said death, but um, you know, that was all speculation. Is actually, uh, defeat. And defeat. we can, we can say that now with confidence since people know that he's coming back in the Soka. So, you know, put the pieces together there, people. But, uh, yeah, I mean, foreshadowing, foreshadowing for sure. And
5: it's interesting though. Oh, hold on. Season four yeah. finale. So oh, deficit spoilers here. It's interesting how we're kind of led to question what that means. And they they talk to Rebels recon. Uh, I think I think as Dave is mentioning it, how Thrawn is left to question if the what Bendu says is kind of uh, like a metaphor, but what we know is he's actually grabbed by mul- multiple limbs of the uh, the Pergil.
3: Yeah, yeah, multiple. It's so um, literal. Yeah, it's a literal. It's a literal thing. So many arms in a cold embrace. The cold. Uh, I don't know. I guess they must be cold or something. But um, yeah, but this, this will tie into um, the finale. Yeah, Th- this will tie into the finale of season four and, uh, and segue its way into Ahsoka because mm-hmm. we know that you know, he's, he's back, right? So, so cl- you know, there's going to be a direct connection there. So it, it's great for people to see this episode you know, and uh, just to, like the main kind of bullet points of the Thrawn story so far. So that was very that was very neat. Uh, I do wonder, however, however, like I do wonder if maybe, you know, maybe maybe that's how that story does wrap up. Like maybe maybe we're being misled as like oh, you know, even though this happens in season four finale, like we don't know how Ahsoka ends. So maybe Bendu's words do still have something, you know, some A sort of meaning. Yeah, some sort of secondary meaning that. You know, might play in later. That would be really cool if they did, you know, not at the tip of the hat to that. But uh, if not, you know, I feel like it served its purpose.
5: Well, definitely have to keep that in her back pocket, see if anything, anything, you know, lands and hits for
3: that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I love how Callus is now with the rebellion. You know, he's a good guy now and uh, he's become such a good character. Like, I remember thinking that. Uh, by the end of the series I remember thinking back to you know, how he started and, and uh, you know I've always thought to myself he was probably one of the best characters that was oh, yeah. transformed over the series
5: mm-hmm. yeah he had a really good arc they did a really good job with him because season one he's definitely one of those like oh he's like a very bland bad guy mm-hmm. and as we pointed out in a previous podcast is really that episode where he gets stranded with Zeb we really dig into his character and then he becomes so much more... Uh, there's so much more depth to him from then, then on. And we just kind of learn more and more as he grows.
3: Yeah, exactly.
5: Something that I wondered, and I don't think they did this, but it would have been super cool, is if they would have, in the original trilogy, picked a, a scene, maybe like so, something similar where General Dodonna is, and just like pick a random person from from that set that scene and use that character as the character who is um, callous. So and so then you get the backstory of this random background character that happens to be in, in like the, the meeting room or whatever. I thought right. that would be cool. I, yeah. I have no idea. I don't think that's what happened. But to me that if they if they didn't do that, it's just a missed opportunity.
3: Yeah. Yeah that's that's a good point. Uh, I think this is also the beginning of uh, that whole phenomenon that people started to have with hot callus. You remember that? No, no, you don't remember that? There was like a no, whole thing. There was like It was it was like a whole thing. Was like because uh, he shows up in season four, and you know they kind of make him look slightly older and give him a bit more of a grizzled look, and mm-hmm. uh, you know there was people calling him hot callus. It was like it was like a whole. Changed facial hair finally. Yeah, it was or like it was like a whole hair. movement, and you know, he had like the, ba- the 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 bangs going on, you know, some some swoopy hair in front of his face and kind of made it look a little more rugged and like you know, people were. Does like, he
5: look like Chad Kruger from Nickelback?
3: Mm, no, he doesn't have the curly so you're hair. describing to me. He doesn't have the curly hair, but you know, we're we're kind of getting there with the facial hair, you know what I mean?
4: Okay.
3: But it it, it was it was kind of funny because I was like you know, saw him all beat up, and, like, Kanan puts his hand on his shoulder and stuff, and I just remember thinking, like, oh, this is where it begins. This is the beginning of Hot Callus. the origin story.
5: Oh, yeah, I see him here now. Type it in a like...
3: Google Hot Callus.
5: <laughs> I didn't type that in. I typed in <laughs> Kalus, uh Season 4 Rebels.
3: Oh man, it, it comes up. It's I a result. That, yeah, I type in "hot I callus."
5: In my search history, Josh. Don't don't taint my search history.
3: Do it, okay? I kid you not. First result beneath the images and the videos, we got a red article. Season four, episode three. Callus is hot, not even low key. <laughs> <laughs> Save that callus is Callus we'll is pretty hard. hot. In fact, he's voiced by uh, David Oyelowo, makes him even hotter. But season four <laughs> canon takes the cake. Mm. that's like that's what what this one person says
5: I clicked on the articles ask me if I'm over 18 (laughs) (laughs) I'm just
3: oh man anyway hot cows everybody
5: I didn't know that was a thing that's hilarious yeah
3: it became a thing Yeah, I think you know what we may even hear the original reference to the hot cows term on Rebels Recon you know when we get around to it I think it came from Rebels Recon (laughs)
5: Was Andy? I think so. Is she going to refer to him as hot callus. I
3: don't know. I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but I, like I, I, my vague memory, I thought it was Rebels Recon, but I could be wrong. It could have been somewhere else. But yeah, oh gosh. I don't know. It might have been Andy.
5: I hope you're right because I'm going to laugh really hard. <laughs> yeah. I
3: don't think so. <laughs> I, really hope, I really hope it's on Rebels Recon now. Oh, man. Um,
5: if it's not we'll just have to edit it in there. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
3: We'll, some for, yeah, we'll forge something out <laughs> uh, My last note here is the rebel fleets taking some serious losses, you know that big ship uh, Oh, actually we already touched up on that but that was the ship that they secured over Ryloth the one that Sato uh, takes to his grave and uh, And then we have the end of season three So um, Pablo points crazy. and pooters for this episode, or sorry, these two episodes because of the two-parter. If you were to combine mm-hmm. the two into one story, what would you give this?
5: Hmm. It was a lot of fun and there's a lot going on. There's a few things that annoyed me, like when they first destroyed the interdictor and only Ezra escapes. Why didn't any other ships try to get away? I, I the end of the first one, I didn't realize there was two interdictors. So that did kind of explain it in the second one, but they they could have tried because Ezra got out. Yeah, that annoyed me. Instead, they all just retreated back to the base.
3: Right. Yeah, yeah that that that's true. Which score?
5: I would say it's funny because this is so similar to the ending of the last season, Mm. where like it's really good, but then there's a couple things I'm like, "Mm." could have done that that. Explain that part better, avoided this one stupid thing. Yeah, I'm gonna go with two and a th- two and three eighths.
3: Two and three eighths. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty high. Get the race. Three, huh, three
5: sixteenths. Two and three sixteenths. Bump it down a little bit. That's a little okay, bit too so,
3: high. Okay, so basically two though.
5: Just yeah, just over two.
3: Okay. I think I would I think go. Really
6: good overall.
3: I think I would go with uh, like one point seven five, maybe. Like, I
5: or, yeah. Metric and I'm imperial. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I would, I would, I would go. Yeah, I would go two point seven five. You know, two and three quarters. Two point seven
5: five.
3: Yeah, two point seven, or sorry, one one point seven five. No, oh, not, not okay. two point seven five. Yeah, one doing. one point seven five. You know, almost at two. Not not at, not great, but like we're we're almost there, you know. I just I thought it was I thought it was cool. I thought it was good. Um, mm-hmm. There were some flaws though that just kind of stuck out as like oh yeah. I don't know.
5: Yeah, that's the same thing with me. There's like oh, it's these animated shows. I feel like. Like 90% there, but they, they make, they can't quite get it right. They just make a few mistakes. And I would say the previous episode to this arc is probably the closest they got to being perfect in this, this series.
3: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, there we have it, everybody. Season three, season three of Star Wars Rebels. It's kind of yeah. hard to right this entire season compared to the others, but would you say that you enjoyed it mm-hmm. more than the previous two seasons?
5: It's tricky because I think this season had more like episodes that were better. But the overall story of this season I like less than last season. Yeah, that's fair. Does that make sense? Like the the season the overall season arc Story was better last year. I think it's because I liked the idea of Ezra turning to the dark side. That was interesting to me. Yeah. Whereas this one, I just I couldn't get into the Bandu thing. It just really annoyed me.
3: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we got only uh, a couple sets of episodes left before Ahsoka. So uh, really looking forward to breaking those last few arcs down with you. And uh, you know, once again, Mr. Blake, thank you for co-hosting with me yet again another episode of Rebels Talk this oh will thanks catch you in the next wait. one
5: wait do you hear that I, hold on I think I do I'm, I'm, getting, I'm, getting, I'm getting a call
4: hello there this is Master Obi a review that would make you. even Master Yoda proud <laughs>
3: <laughs> very nice, very nice. Coming in, he's coming in double. Let me fine tune it a little bit here. This is
4: Master Obi Wan Kenobi, and you're listening to Star Wars Escape Pod. Don't forget to leave a review that would make even Master Yoda proud.
3: Awesome. Please yeah. follow those instructions. Everybody oh, listening.
5: You know, Obi Wan was listening to us the whole time. He just called right in. That was nice of him.
3: Yeah. I didn't
5: stay for any questions. <laughs> i love to ask about the duel ball.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Too bad he's not sticking around.
5: <laughs> yeah. oh well he, got, he left real quick before we could ask him anything <laughs> <laughs>
3: don't they always uh, yep. all right so we'll catch you in the next one
5: sounds good we'll see you out there keep flying
3: all right thank you so much to all of you guys tuning in at home joining us each week for another episode of rebels talk and you can find all the ways to contact us in the description below as well as find the episodes that we watch each week or each episode of Rebels Talk, seeing as we have multiple episodes dropping a the week these days. However, that will slow down as soon as Ahsoka hits, and we'll be diving right into Ahsoka after shows on a weekly basis. Don't forget about the Twitter spaces. Set your clocks for 7.30 p.m. on the Wednesday, and we will see you in the next episode of Rebels Talk on Star Wars Escape Pod. May the Force be with you.